And I'm Brett Johnson. And we're both anti-fraud experts. But with very different sets of experiences. I've been in the anti-fraud space for well over a decade, working with hundreds of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. Prior to several years ago, I was a cyber criminal. I committed several different types of crimes online, ended up on the United States Most Wanted list, went to prison. And since that point, I've turned my life around and focused now on protecting people against the type of person that I used to be. I wanted to ask you, you know, we've got a lot of news about coronavirus scams. Yeah. And consumers being hit with those. And of course, I did a webinar a few days ago about the about corona, various types of coronavirus scams. What are you seeing on your end as far as, as that goes? Have you received any phishing emails, for example, or any text messages oh. trying to get money or information from you? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought you meant like on the merchant side and I was like, oh boy, this is going to be a double, a two-parter conversation. But, um, yeah, I've gotten several, um, actually a lot of text messages, um, which will take me a minute to pull up some of the screenshots, but, um, but I did take them cause you know, that's just how I am. Um, here's one public records indicate money may be owed to you expires today. And then with a link that looks beyond suspicious with just, there's no actual words in English iffy. language. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's alphanumeric.com and then slash a whole bunch of gibberish. Um, another one, let's see here. A um, $100 bonus from Costco. That's our stimulus package for Costco card holders. Um, and then another link, uh, complete the survey and return, please. <laughs> um, you know, they're polite so a lot um, of another one yeah oh yeah yeah here's another one brandon we i got this one a few times and i was like my name is not brandon but okay <laughs> brandon we accidentally overcharged your phone bills past four months please accept our apology on this iphone 11 is compensation oh that's um, a nice one yeah yeah it's very generous of them um even if my name isn't brandon i still might be like well gosh i'll take brandon's new iphone yeah, exactly. um yeah i definitely getting those getting um some emails. I actually got an email from a um, business contact that was in, um, I'm sure my email address was in his um, address book. Uh, we hadn't emailed back and forth in a couple of years, but um, they had referred, his company had referred a client to me a few years ago. So we had had a few emails back and forth and I get this email titled um, something about like FYI uh, credit information or something like that, or credit information enclosed or something like that. And it, it was an HTML email, looked great, like had his company um, logo on it and everything. And it was like, download here for um, the credit file. And you're like, huh? But um, based on what their company does, it would make sense that that would be something that they would send out. But because I hadn't heard from him in two years, I was like, this is fishy. So I actually reached out to him on LinkedIn and was like, hey, I think your email was compromised. Um, and he's like, yeah, it was, if you would have clicked the link, you would have been asked to enter your information. And then, you know, your contacts would have gotten something. And I'm like, that's great. <laughs> like, I mean, he was kind of flippant <laughs> about it. And I was like, uh, he's like, ha ha ha. Yeah. I was, and it's like, no, actually. So that actually goes more onto like business spear phishing. 
um, on the business end. But yeah, I mean, it's, those are just a few. And I know other people are getting hammered with emails, Facebook messages, sure. text messages, all of it. Well, you know, what's, what's interesting, and, and the stats been out there for a while, Kaspersky did a, a study, and I quote this statistic like it's a religion, that 92% of every single breach begins with a phishing attack, 92%. Mm. And, you know, I, I go on to say that the reason that happens is why would I potentially spend years trying to brute force my way through an industrial proof firewall when the only thing I need to do is send a phishing email to someone behind that firewall and I gain the exact same access. Um, right. So, I, you know, I talk about that a lot. And I talk about how effective phishing is, especially if you look at spear phishing. Some estimates have it at about 86% effective. It doesn't matter how much security awareness training you've got, how educated, uneducated, important, unimportant, anything else. It's still about 86% effective. Well, and I mean, just to remind people, spear phishing is more precise. It's more specific. A lot of times it's to businesses and phishing is more like, you know, putting a net out and seeing what you get versus, you know, having a spear to fish. Yeah. It's, it's um, a targeted approach versus a uh, blanket kind of thrown out that net type of thrown out. And, and it makes uh, sense to me on a lot of, for a like on a lot of levels of why we would see phishing attacks go up so much right now um, and phone scams as well um, or phone phishing, but, um, or vishing as you know, the experts call it voice phishing. Um, it, because there's a lot of people that are scared and uncertain worldwide. I mean, never have we had an instance where it's impacted everyone across the country or all everyone across the world in very similar ways most tragedies or um, natural disasters occur in a very specific geographic location. So now you've got the whole world is a potential target of these phishing scams, not just the victims of a hurricane, um, not just the, you know, the victims of um, a bombing or a, a mass shooting. It's everyone. In addition, I mean, there's so much uncertainty and fear that it's not that far-fetched that people would think, oh, you know, the, my phone company probably, you know, realized that they overbilled me or um, to think that maybe there are tests available to buy or uh, you're able to download a link to see the map of all your neighbors that are infected with the virus or whatever it is. Like, of course they're doing that. Um, I would also think that a lot of criminals have extra time on their hands um right now just like the rest of us there, there's a lot of truth to that there, there's a lot of truth and it, you know the question comes up you know people get phishing emails every single day the only thing a phishing attack is is a social engineering attack that's all it is it's an it's an attacker who understands human psychology and understands the technology enough to launch an attack to launch to send out an email with the idea to get you to give up one of four things, information, access, data, or cash. That's it. So they're looking for one of those four things. So, so a lot of people are, are, you know, we receive those text, not those text messages, we receive the phishing emails. And depending on where the email comes from, our level of awareness is pretty high. You know, we, we get that email, it looks like it comes from Bank of America. And we're like, you know, not gonna fall for that. But what if it comes from a lower type app or something like that, say Hulu, something like that. 
is your or a dating site is your level of awareness going to be the same and and the answer is automatically no but you know you add in that and you add in how these phishing attacks look um you know I, i've got my email is golem at anglerfish.com i can register a unicode domain which has been around for a decade or longer and it looks exactly like anglerfish except it doesn't have a dot above the I, and it works just fine. It resolves just fine. It's just not an English alphabet I. It's a Cyrillic looking I. But how many people that answer that, that click on emails, that see the email in front of them, are going to realize that an, that an I doesn't have a dot above it? So that's, that's a lot of these issues that are going through, these like domains that come through. You've got, uh, that's, that's not even a, the thing about phishing is it's not, they're not sophisticated attacks. They're not. They're very simple attacks, uh, little workarounds, things like that. A lot of them can be circumvented. A lot of them cannot. Uh, you take like a, a like domain using a Unicode domain like I just described. Those That technique has been around forever, but that technique is worth $12 billion. That's $7 million a day. It's the number one way that business email compromise is committed today, just using like domains, Unicode domains. Um, I think that when we're talking about phishing, it's a lot of the time, you know, we we tend to think that the, the person clicking on the email is not trained properly, that they're ignorant or stupid. And we, we refer to them as that. And my, my stance on that is it has nothing to do with stupidity. It has nothing to do with ignorance, lack of training, or anything else like that. It has a lot to do with that attacker who understands that you're checking your email using a smartphone. Are you gonna notice that a dot is not above an I? Are you, uh, are you in payroll and you're clicking on two to 300 emails a day? Are you gonna notice that one of those emails doesn't have a dot above the I? No, no you're not. And what you're talking about is having it look like you're getting an email from inside your company, right? So if you had multiple employees for Anglerfish using your domain as an example, they would, you know, your they would just say, you know, it would be golem at anglerfish.com, but with a, you know, Cyrillic eye. And so there, no one's looking. And if you were sending that to your payroll person, or you were sending that to, you know, someone else like in you know, accounts payable, et cetera. Hey, can you wire this money to this? I, you know, these guys, I just don't have time to do it right now. Or can you send me that file for this or that or whatever it is? And yeah, it's going to look just like it's from someone else within the company. Yeah, it's, 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 it's extremely effective, extremely effective. That's just like domains. If we have this thing called DMARC, which is domain message authentication, reporting and conformance, it actually stops over 80% of all phishing emails. It's already throughout the EU, the UK, it's extremely effective. And what it does is it, it'll make sure that an attacker cannot, cannot spoof your company's domain. Now he can use like domains, like those Unicode domains that I just mentioned and things like that. But DMARC's extremely effective. There are tools out there, but understand that those tools only have, they're effective in what they do, but it doesn't plug every single hole. And we've talked about that with fraud in general. I mean, not every hole is gonna be plugged by one specific tool. You have to use other types of techniques as well. Yeah, and that makes sense for both spear phishing as well as from you know a consumer perspective. But even if a lot of these you know phishing scams aren't even trying to look legitimate right now, I think that, and what I mean by legitimate is from legitimate companies, 
I think right now what we're seeing is just a whole lot of noise and just trying to see what they can get to stick. I do believe that over time as um, coronavirus slash COVID-19 keeps impacting economies, et cetera, that we're going to see similar phishing attacks like we did in the recession, where it's going to look like it's coming from your bank or from a financial institution of some kind, or just something that looks legitimate, you know, like, like the Hulu breach, et cetera, you know, something that looks legitimate enough where you're like, Oh, I'll just put in my, I'll just log into my account through them because it looks like, you know, there's a problem with my account and then they get that password. Well, I mean, there's a lot of us that use, if not the same password, similar passwords. Um, I'm getting away from that, especially as, you know, the podcast gets more and more popular and just other things in general, just me going, okay, I need to start practicing what I preach. Um, but at the same time, I know that there are probably accounts that I'm forgetting that I haven't logged into for years. Um, but at least keeping, you know, the most important accounts in my life, the most secure possible um, with a password manager, et cetera. Um, but the, I do think that we're going to see the what the phishing emails look like or what the scams look like being different and changing over time uh, as this continues to play out and have more, you know, more long-term consequences. I mean, I, I agree. And some of the, some of the attacks or the, the types of emails that I would expect if I were doing it, what I would be doing falls into several different old categories. And I guess the first is, is kind of what I call my shit category of trying to sell non-existent goods and services, you know, masks, sanitizers, tests, right. offering grants and aid, employment scams, that type of stuff. Yeah. And then, then it will, you know, keep, as more consumers are educated, as less people fall for it, or as there gets to be more of the legitimate items in the market, then that MO will change. That would sure. be my my pr prediction. And you're right. I mean, the, the MO, so I, went, I mentioned masks, tests, grants, aid, and, and employment opportunities. So certainly the masks and the test, that will fall off to the side as the, as the weeks, months, hopefully not months, progress. But what probably won't fall off to the side anytime soon are the offers of fake grants, aids, loans, uh, employment opportunities, because we're estimated mm. to, to maybe have up to 47 million Americans out of jobs. Right. So, and it's easy enough, you know, it's, it's extremely easy to list something on one of these employment sites. And I don't really care what the employment site is, Monster Indeed, Craigslist, I really don't care what the employment site is. If you list something, someone is going to respond to it if you if, if the economy is bad enough and some of these employment scams that we're already seeing are simply for um applications so saying hey you know we'd love to have you apply or a recruiter but there's an application fee or there's a background check fee um, and oh by the way can you also give us all of your personal information for that background check um, so they're getting money and personal information, but we're also seeing, you know, work from home scams with reshipping, reshipping goods from retailers. That's going to continue to be a big one. I mean, that's been a big one for over a decade, but um, I do believe that as more people are out of work, I'm sure there are a lot of uh, people overseas that are seeing this as an opportunity to offer them 30, 50, a hundred dollars a package to re box, it doesn't really matter how much they offer them because they probably won't ever pay them. 
Um, another thing that I'm concerned about with all these people staying at home who aren't in a relationship and who are lonely is romance scams. And I know that that's a topic that you um, just released an episode on anglerfish about that I that's something else. I mean, there's just so many things that you think about and you're like, oh gosh, that person's a target, that person's a target for really it's about targeting vulnerabilities and, and humans and, you know, we can businesses and uh, companies and uh, even social media platforms can invest millions, if not billions collectively in security, but then you get humans involved and that can all go out the window very quickly. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, and, you know, now is the time, you know, Frank McKenna had a really nice blog calling this a perfect storm. I've said the exact, I think I've used the exact same terminology as well. This is, this is like the, the most opportune time for fraudsters and cyber criminals to operate. Nothing, nothing that I have seen in recent history beats this opportunity for making money on the criminal side of things. Absolutely nothing. It's, it's, it's from a criminal perspective, it is amazing. It truly is. We have the government that is giving out $1,200 to everyone. And let me tell you how easy it is right now to hijack that $1,200. TurboTax and the IRS opened up a website. Now, if you've already been filing taxes, that tax, your tax return, the address and the direct deposit information, the IRS is going to go ahead and send that $1,200 to you anyway. But there are millions of people, millions, and a lot of senior citizens, a lot of you know younger people that have never filed taxes, that don't need to file taxes. So the question is, is how do those people get stimulus checks? And this is where the criminal mindset pops in. That's my first question is, how do these people who have not filed taxes, these millions of people out there, how are they getting $1,200? Well, I'll tell you how they're getting $1,200. Thankfully, TurboTax and the IRS have worked together and they've got this nice little site built where if you have not filed taxes, if you don't have to file taxes, you can just go there and there's a nice little easy form you can fill out and you can input your direct, direct deposit information in there and they will direct deposit that $1,200 into whatever account you direct them to, whether it be prepaid card, bank account, whatever you want them to do. So what someone like me or the person that I used to be would do. I'm looking for people that are poor. I'm looking for people who don't file taxes, who uh, have no need, you know, service industry people, fast food workers, unemployed people. There's a lot of those out there. A lot of those 35% of all Americans have no credit score. So there's a lot of individuals out there. I go to RoboCheck or jstash.bazaar and I pull their social security number and date of birth. That's the only thing that I need. Are those I, dark websites or? They, they, uh, JSTash works on the DNS blockchain. Uh, RoboCheck is a service website, robocheck.cm. But they're mostly used by criminals. They're not they, used. They are criminal websites. Okay, that's it. Okay, that's what I was trying to make sure. Okay. By, by the same token, understand. though, if I, if I didn't want to use JSTash or uh, RoboCheck, which I can pull someone's social and date of birth for $2, $2.90. If I didn't want to do that, I could use Delve Point. I could use uh, TLO Lookups anything else like that to pull the social the date of birth on the person. From there, I go down to the dollar So anyone who store. thinks that their social security number isn't out there just doesn't, hasn't been hit yet. You and right. I have said this a million right. times, but I'm just reiterating it. So I get the social, get the date of birth of this person. From there, I go down to the Dollar General store or Walmart and buy a green dot card, 
which comes with its own direct deposit account. I just go to the TurboTax site, fill in the information, put an address on there, put the direct deposit information as the green dot card and wait for the money to hit. And it's going to hit within, I think it's going to hit within 30 days now, which is pretty good from a criminal point of view. Well, and I have to say, I mean, it's really important that so many of these people do get the money. I mean, it's really, nobody had a heads up on this. Well, that can be debated, but you know, really no, no one had an idea that this is how it would manifest or that this is what would happen. And so nobody really took, you know, had time to prepare. And even if they could, the, you know, the lower income people wouldn't have the ability to save money up. So it's victimizing. It it just, uh, it tears at my, my bleeding heart where it's like victimizing the poor and victimizing people that need the money most. And I do think that it's important that our government, and I know other governments are doing this as well. However, um, there, um, they, a lot of them already have things like universal basic income or universal healthcare. And so they have, you know, a good idea of, you know, where everyone is, who everyone is. And and they're also smaller, right? Um, we, our country has a lot of extra problems because it is so big. Um, and so there isn't this huge repository of, of information. So it does make it easier for criminals to do that. But on top of that, you know, even like you're saying, you're not making up a person, you're picking someone that you're pretty sure if they have, if they are going to apply, they haven't applied yet. And so you're just taking it for them or not you, but hypothetical you. Um, I just, I have to say, I mean, I think it's good that the government's stepping in and providing something, but it would make sense to have them contact a former criminal, probably you, to say, hey, this is what we're thinking about doing. I mean, because quite frankly, you're one of the only former cyber criminals that's at your level who is on this good side. And the other person who, you know, is well known for it did check fraud in the 40s, 50s, I don't remember, but like a long time ago. So you would be the right person or someone like you who would say, okay, how would you game this system? And I know they didn't have a lot of time, but I know you would have given your time for that. Um, you know, that would be something that would be optimal, but um, especially I mean, since you did so much tax fraud. I mean, and it's it's the, the good thing from a criminal point, and, and this is all from a criminal point of view right now. The good thing, the extremely good thing is that there is a rush to get this money out. People need this money. 70%, over 70% of every American has less than $1,000 in the bank. 70%. So there's a rush. People, we had 6.6 million people file unemployment claims last week. We had 3.2 million the week before that. There is a rush to get money in people's pockets. Because and quite frankly, 1,200 probably is not enough. But and that yes. and that statistic is also from before coronavirus. I'd be willing to imagine it's so much worse. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you and I, I know you and I have both been in that situation in the past. Yeah, so um, you think of the about, reasons we work uh, so hard. We we get it. Yeah, and you think about you know. So so you've got most Americans that have less than a thousand dollars in the bank. They are out of work. No one's buying cars. No one's buying. Uh, 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 durable items, durable goods, services, anything else like that. It's its just not happening right now. Mm-hmm. So because of that, people need money. I don't care. Yeah, $1,200 isn't a lot. It's not a lot until you don't have $1,200. Then it becomes a right. whole hell of a Well, 100%. Yeah, it's just, it's just not enough to pay 
rent, food, et cetera, in most, you know, urban areas or anything else. And, you know, it won't last that long, but it's it's something. And and it's, you know, it's great that they're, you know, that they are doing something. And I will tell you the criminal mindset on that, the criminals, the, the justification on that, because I used to do the exact same damn thing with taxes. The justification on that is, okay, I am, yes, I am taking money from the government, not the people, because because those people will still get the stimulus check, which is, that is factually true. They forget to mention that it may take those people six to nine months to get the stimulus check after you hijack it from them. But that is the justification from the criminal mind that does that. Um, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's horrible. And I will tell you that uh, it's, it's, it's the most insane, despicable thing in the world. And I will also tell you that there is nothing that any single person on this planet can do to talk anyone out of it. That's going to start hijacking those stimulus checks. They're going to do it anyway. And you know, that's my thing is that if you know that it's going to happen, like tax fraud, if you know it's going to happen, what can you do to make sure that it doesn't happen to you? Well, I think, are you asking me hypothetically or rhetorically? Yeah. I wasn't Sorry. sure. It's a little, it's a little above. It's a little above <laughs> I was like, am I answering or are you keep going? Um, this is, you know, we don't, a lot of people are actually surprised that we don't even do this on video chat. So like, I'm like, <laughs> waving, be waving at like, you like, hey, hey, your turn. <laughs> well, I did just make a face on a video call this morning with a client that I totally should have. And then they were like, Carice. I'm like, I, ah. Darn it. You got to watch out on those video calls. I've yeah. done the exact same thing. Oh I'll be agreeing gosh. with them and that they'll start talking. I'll just like, Ugh. yeah, I kind of rolled my eyes and made like a face like, oh, are you serious? Yep. And I'm used to doing that on the regular calls, but this time they wanted to do zoom and I'm like, and I wasn't looking at the video cause I was sending an email. So I wasn't remembering that I was on it anyway. Sorry. That was a tangent. Um, as far as like, you know, what, if, if I were to be eligible for that check, are you asking what, you know, what I would do to make sure that I do? Yeah, because at the end yeah. of the day, there's really only one thing that the IRS says to do to prevent the hijacking of tax refunds. My assumption would be to beat the bear, to basically for you to file for it first. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's it. It's a race. It's a, it's yeah. a race and who's quicker. And I'm going to tell you, you know, I, when I filed taxes, I knew I was going to get from each person I filed about, you know, at least $2,000, maybe three. And I would sit there all day long. So um, it's not just me that's, that was doing that. I mean, back then it was just me, but you know, nowadays you've got hundreds of thousands of fraudsters, cyber criminals out there that see that this gate is completely wide open. Right. So right. Are you seeing discussions about that on dread and other dark web forums or do you I'm think people are just doing it under like, they're not wanting to talk about it because they want all of it to themselves. Like, I'm just curious. No, no, the, the, the hijacking, uh, sure. The hijacking of grants is, is being discussed, but that stimulus check stuff, that's going, that's being discussed because it is, it is such a, uh, such a wide open uh, thing right now. I mean, it, yeah. it is, it is absolutely just, I cannot overstate it enough. I mean, this is this right here, these, these stimulus checks, will be the retirement of many, many cyber criminals. There's that much money to be stolen. Wow. Oh, that's depressing. Thanks for that. Well, and I know you've been talking, <laughs> you've been talking about, you know, this for the last few weeks, ever since it was first announced. I think that we actually recorded an episode like the day it was announced they were going to do something. And that was a few weeks ago. 
And um, I've kind of been like, yeah, 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 but like, let's wait to find out how they're doing it because wouldn't they have a way to verify people? And I was thinking that what you meant was just make up a person, you know, make up that you have 25 kids, make up that you have this or that. But now knowing how easy it is just to, you know, take the identity of someone who is deserving of it is actually more scary because then you're actually taking money out of those people's pockets. You're not just, I mean, it's bad either way, but if you're making someone up there, the impact is to the government, which is awful. And we all pay for it in different ways, but that is different than someone who is on disability or someone who's on social security. You know, those people don't usually file taxes either. Um, someone who barely make, who doesn't make enough to file taxes. Like that's a low bar in the U S anyways. Um, and, I mean, that taking money from them and then assuming that the IRS has not thought this through to have some kind of a triage or some kind of a response to what happens when people say this happens or how do we verify their bank account or how do we verify their identity, that actually makes it a hundred times worse to me because then that puts an actual human victim, you know, face on this um, and lots of faces given how easy it'll be. Yeah, it, it's horrible. I mean, you, you like I said, you've got 70% who have less than $1,000 in the bank. You've got, it, I think it's 35 million Americans who don't even have a credit score. Is so, that over 18 or is that including children? Over 18. Over 18. Wow. Okay. So 35 million. 35 wow. million Americans don't have a credit score. Wow. Uh, of those 35 million Americans, I would assume that those without a credit score really don't need to file taxes. So they probably right. don't in most instances. Um, so they're not filing their taxes. At the same time, you have to look and see how many people are unbanked who don't have actual bank accounts in the United States. They rely on check cashing services. They rely on prepaid accounts. So accepting the, the government accepting a direct deposit or sending a direct deposit to a prepaid account is of a necessity in a crime like this or in these stimulus checks like this. So it's not those aren't going to be flagged. You, you can um, go down and you can get that net spend. You can get that green dot, whatever right, you want to do. Right, right, Because they wouldn't have a bank account anyway. Right. Well, so here's a random question. But if you're targeting one of the third or hundreds or thousands of the 35 million that don't have a credit score, how are you getting their social security number if they don't even have a credit score? Like, because I mean, I totally think that most of the database that these criminal operations and websites are using for credit scores is probably from the Equifax breach right. um, or other breaches similar. So like, how are you, how do they have those on file? And, and you're absolutely right. A lot of the breach data from uh, JSTAS, from uh, RoboCheck, other sites like that, that data is from OPM. It's from Equifax. Mm, it's from all these right. other, it's from, uh, what was the, but, uh, also, like the Primera health insurance, right, I just right. realized that too. Like there are health insurance, but then also a lot of them don't have health insurance. But I guess too, that is also where phishing could come into play, right? Sure. Where like you could say, "Hey, we have these work from home jobs," and you could target those people and have them fill out an application and then use their social and their information for that. And, and, and to answer your question, yeah. I mean, we are seeing right now the technique used to get the PII of individuals who do not need to file taxes or who do not have credit scores. And that technique is the age old technique of sending out phishing emails. So from social security administration, from the IRS, from the WHO, from the CDC, from 
whoever they can come up with that might offer you a grant. You know, we're from, from Tax Act, from H&R Block. You know, we're going to spoof that. We're going to send you an email that says, hey, we're going to help you get your stimulus check. We'll have it deposited for you. Just go ahead and fill out this form. So we hijack the, the PII at that point and go ahead and file for that stimulus check for you on a instrument that the criminal picks up at Walmart, Dollar General, Family Dollar, whatever the hell, wherever the hell you want to pick So that's up. what you mean by stimulus hijacking? Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's, uh, it's extremely, I mean, this right here, like I said, it's, it, it, I, cannot, I cannot overstate it enough. It's extremely effective. It's, it is, it is, this is, right now, the next few months are the, the months where a lot of these criminals and, and th again, this is not sophisticated. This is not the least bit sophisticated. But right now is the, is the next few months are the, the months that will make many, many criminals retirement accounts um, right here. This is it. And then so basically you're having them deposited into each of these green dot or, you know, whatever the these cards are that have a direct deposit account linked to it. And then basically they're just combining it into their own That's accounts it. after that, That's like it. money laundering. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I go get, um, <sighs> because green dot's so ubiquitous. I go right. get a green dot car card. It's uh, what it's like two to three bucks for the card. Now right. I have to load it up with anywhere from, I think it's either a minimum of 10 or a minimum of $20 I have to put on the card. So that's say it costs me $23 to get the card from there. If I want to really be sure that I'm doing everything properly, from there, what I'm going to do is maybe I'll buy a prepaid smartphone for 40 bucks. I'll pay for, you know, 300 minutes on that for another 30. So I'm invested in that account. And this is a very low tech way of doing it, but I, but it's an expect, it's an effective way. So I'm invested in that single account under hundred bucks. Okay. 80 bucks is what I'm invested in. But the payoff is a minimum of 1200. If I can get a husband and wife signed up, that's 2400. If I can steal some kids identities, because believe you me, they don't verify that, that the child is actually, is oh actually a, a family member. A dependent. So, right. So I can get two parents and put three kids on there and profit 3,400. Is that right? It's 25, 29, 34, $3,900 is what I can do per account. And wow. the, only, the only limit is how much can I have deposited on the prepaid card because each card, each prepaid card, the provider only allows so much of a daily deposit on the card. It's typically about 3000 is what that is. Wow. Yeah. Just the way your mind works on that. I mean, I am sure like that as soon as you, you know, heard the details of how it worked, you're like, Oh, boom, 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 boom. Like oh, yeah. it's, uh, and I'm grateful that you're on this side, but I, I gotta tell you, like, there's a part of me that's like, damn, that is so easy and they can't track it. Like, pretty easy. Brett, please, please. I mean, you know, come on. I'm, I do easy. know you a lot better than that. Um, and I think you know that I, you know, it's, it's scary. really kick that's your ass, scary but <laughs> it is, it's scary easy. And that like concerns me of like how many people will turn that way too. Because the other thing is, I mean, um, the only thing that I really have to compare this time to is the recession of 2008, you know, to 2012, 13, um, in my life and career, et cetera. And I definitely saw a lot of changes over that. And there's a lot of things going on around social media, listing all these companies that, you know, were bred out of that 
um, time. And so giving some hope that there's going to be new innovation out of this. And, and that's great and fine. But there were also a lot of fraud techniques that were built out of that time as well. I mean, we didn't even have a term for what we now call friendly fraud before the recession. We didn't have a term for account takeover before the recession. Like, I do think that this is also going to be the time where we have more types of fraud. Um, but also there were a lot of people that weren't, weren't actually taking part in criminal activity before the recession. But as we talked about with Jay, necessity, you know, makes people do things that they never thought they'd do before. And something that concerns me is, gosh, you've got somebody, you know, who is, you know, a little bit outside the lines, but not totally ever crossing that line. And then they're in a small town or a, you know, small community and they're like, oh, I'm just going to file this for everybody I know. Um, you know, I, I can see a lot more people kind of crossing that line, um, especially as needs continue to get more, um, as, especially since, you know, there's just the longer this goes on, the longer it's going to just have really catastrophic impacts to people. And when you're looking at your child and wondering how they're going to get fed their next meal, I mean, your conscience isn't really going to stop you from, from doing something that may be nefarious. I mean, you're, you're right. And that's that you, you were already kind of making the transition, but this brings us into the discussion that we had, you know, via email about what today's topic is. And, you know, you mentioned, uh, Fishing and then for consumers then also on the merchant side and and we're, we're, we're looking at and sure the only the only real thing that most people can compare it to is the recession. But it's kind of like the recession, but the recession has been watching spinal tap and we're going to turn it up to 11. Well, cool. yeah, it's instant. It wasn't like a gradual recession over a few months or a few years. This was like night and day. I mean, I'm snapping my fingers, but I guess that doesn't right. really matter. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's that's a fact. And and now you've got you've got potentially 47 million Americans out of work, no money coming in. They owe rent. They owe mortgage. They owe their uh, car payments. They need to eat. Now. I'm going to tell you that there is nothing that makes makes someone break the law. It is a choice. It is an active choice, especially that technique with stealing stimulus checks. It takes forethought. It takes planning, preparation, everything else. You have to actively choose. To Very premeditated. All right. So, and that's the way it is across the board. If you're committing credit card fraud, you have to act, actually choose that. If you're committing friendly fraud, you are actively deciding, choosing to break the law. So there, there's no such thing as making you do that. But I will say that in times of desperation, people will tend to do things that they typically would not do. Right. And that brings us into all this merchant fraud that is going to be happening. Yeah. Yeah. And something that I'm concerned about is all this fishing is happening right now with consumers and beyond rich PII, so personal identification or, or identifier information, um, depending on how you say it, um, they, um, they're also asking for usernames and passwords. Um, there also are several breaches that have been released in the last few weeks. I mean, I'm sorry, Marriott, but again, <laughs> um, <laughs> really, again, did you not learn lessons first time? Yeah, and, and or you know, is the, this the, the second initial, time? I don't know. The initial Marriott, it was not Marriott's fault. Right. They, they acquired a company that had been breached before they acquired it. 
Right. And then they had to pay the price for that. But this time, come on, guys. Come on now. <laughs> right. Well, right. And so what happens is you've got these consumers that have the same password for everything. Or how about all the things, all of their travel accounts, right? Maybe they segment it that way. Um, now you've got all these just lists and lists and lists of credentials that you know can easily be used for what we call credential stuffing on our end. And what I'm concerned about is you know, one of the accounts that I don't think anyone's going to be logging in to check anytime soon is their air miles account. I mean, who's going to be looking at that? You're not booking any trips or anything. Yeah, no one's um, flying right now. Right, exactly. <laughs> so how easy would it be for, you know, fraudsters to drain your air miles accounts? You wouldn't know about it for months. Or I'm talking with merchants who are having to provide store credits in order to keep money as much as possible, especially in travel or entertainment. Um, the industries that have really been hit the most, the soonest anyways, I, I, there's a lot of industries that are being hit in different ways, but I think we can all agree that um, companies that sell anything from um, sporting event tickets to concerts to um, travel, trip packages, all those things, you know, airlines, hotels, all those guys, they're now being hit with all these requests for refunds. And they need to be able to hold on to as much money as possible. And there's also the chargeback rules that allow consumers to process chargebacks for up to 120 days from the transaction. So now you're exposed for your last four months of business, not just right now. And they also have barely any sales coming in, if any at all. And so all of a sudden, you know, two months ago, these companies were doing really well and they were, you know, doing great. And then now all of a sudden there's nothing coming in, but a lot going out. So it's honestly a good best practice to provide store credit. And thankfully Visa and MasterCard and Discover have all come out saying that they are acknowledging store credit as a form of a refund. And so um, in most cases, if a customer has been given a store credit, they can't call their bank and get um, money for a chargeback. There's, I could go into whole, there's actually not any guardrails on that. It's actually up to the merchant to ensure that they're providing the response back. Uh, to prove that it's not like the issuer, the issuer would have no idea, right? If you were to call up your credit card company and say, Hey, I want to, to issue a chargeback for this company, they wouldn't know that you had a store credit on your account. They don't have access to that. So um, there's a lot of things in between there, but all these companies are giving store credit for future use so that they can hold on to their money. Makes total sense from a business perspective as they should. But as I'm on, I was on a phone call last week with several of these big companies talking about these things, you know, I, I just thought it was so important for them to all talk to each other. So I got them all on a phone call together last week. I was like, oh my gosh, now you guys are going to be targets for account takeovers because if you're issuing, you know, a thousand dollar credit for an airline or a flight or a hotel package or something on this person's account, of course, fraudsters are going to want to access that and drain that money or drain those before anything else. Um, you're right. And, and certainly historically rewards points have mm -hmm. been easy access. Uh, people don't pay much attention to them. They don't, uh, Companies don't think that that's, a, that's a, a pain point until they're hit with it. And we're going to see that type of mentality. We're already seeing it. I mean, we're already seeing that. That type of mentality used to hijack store credit, uh, everything else. You had mentioned that some of these, uh, you know, you've got the homes where people rent out uh, their homes for people. And 
the, uh, yeah. the, the I won't say the say the name, but they're giving credit. So how easy is it to hide? Well, almost every credit? company that has any kind of travel, you know, sure. and there's, I mean, all of them are giving out credit um, for that. Because or events, I mean, events are being, you know, I mean, we had several concerts booked for this spring. In fact, actually, I haven't told you this yet, but um, my husband got us tickets to see Sturgill Simpson uh, at an outdoor um, venue in a month. And I honestly was like, uh, a month or two ago, I was about to text you and say, hey, you and Michelle should come up. Like, this would be fun. Because I know you and my husband both love him very much. Well, now I'm I haven't even checked, but I'm pretty sure it's canceled. Or what they're using is the term postponed. Right. The problem is, is it's a whole mess to get any kind of venue postponed. So this could be a year before, you know, tours get booked and everything Absolutely. else. And so, of course, people are like, well, gosh, like, you know, I don't really need that $200 to whatever. I don't need to see that concert in a year. I need to feed my family now. But the way that these companies are you know, trying to be able to stay afloat because you just think about the sheer volume is giving credits or saying that the event is, if it was for a specific event, it's postponed. If it was for travel, um, you know, flight, hotel, any other, you know, variations of those, um, whether it's, you know, renting out homes or vacation places or, you know, whatever it is, um, vacation packages, et cetera, that the term is, we'll give you a store credit. And so, yeah, that's, that's my concern now is that, that's going to get out. And I mean, of course it's going to get out because these companies are large um, and, you know, people are going to know, oh, okay, yeah, this is, that company's providing credits. Ooh, let's do spoofing. Let's do phishing emails from those companies saying, hey, log into your account. We need to, there's a problem with the account or your account's been compromised. We need you to change the password. And so there they go entering in their password to that, you know, hotel or airline or um, online travel agency, like any of those. It's, I'm worried about the second wave. I think because unfortunately, if when those credits, not if, when those credits are drained, the company is still going to want to make it right with the consumer. So then they're going to have to give out a second credit or a second set of you know tickets or whatever it is. Right. And, you know, it's, it's at, the, at the end of the day, I mean, there's a couple of ways you can get access. You can either breach the company or you can send out phishing emails to the customers. We know that on customer side that around 85% of most every person on the planet uses the same login and, and password. Most people have no idea how to pick secure passwords. Most people don't even consider that merchant logins are important. So they, they pick very easy, very memorable, very, I mean, they repeat the passwords over and over and over and over. And so now when you've got, you know, some of these accounts that may have hundreds, if not thousands of dollars worth of credit on them, they become very, very good targets for criminals to, to hijack and use. Yeah. And that's something I'm, I'm worried about, um, you know, in the future, as there gets to be more and more of these things, or as there's more, um, you know, more time going down the line. Now, one thing that you can say is, those credits aren't going to have as much value to the fraudsters until travel, you know, gets back up and running again. Um, you know, it's, they're not going to be able to turn it really fast, but what they can do is just keep building it up and then have access to that as soon as people do start traveling, because they know that people are going to want to travel for a discount. They know that offering, Hey, I have these, you know, air miles, or I have, you know, such and such credit to this, you know, company or website, et cetera. Um, I'm only going to, I just need it off my hands. I'm only going to charge 50% of the value. Like they know that they'll be able to get rid of that all day long. It won't be an immediate 
amount of money because no one's traveling, but sooner or later it will have significant value. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the question is, so I, you know, I, I preach all the time, use a password manager, understand that every single account has value, whether it's merchant tax, bank, credit card, whatever, every single account has value. So the question is for, for not only individuals, consumers, but also merchants, how do you protect against that happening to you? Yeah, I have password managers. I think also in this case, I I know there's a lot of merchants that listen. And I know that there are 800 fires that need to be put out right now. Um, I'm aware of most of them. Um, and I don't envy you. I've been in similar situations in my career. Um, and like I said, my best point of reference is when the stock market and everything else crashed and I was in e-commerce and it was, there was a lot of oh shit moments. There was a lot of, you know, pants on fire running around, like trying to figure things out. And a lot of other things that just didn't really get thought of until we had to think of them, uh, which can cause problems too. But I do think it's important for merchants to at least try. I totally get it. I know I say this a lot, but like I get, what it's like to be the head of the fraud department saying, hey, we need to do this. Hey, this is important. And just not feeling like it's being heard because there are a million other priorities for the business. But if you are able to force password resets on your website, if you are able to communicate to your consumers, like do not click on links from us inside emails, which I know is a bit of a you know change for your marketing department, um, go out to our website instead. Um, if you're able to, you know, spread the word and say, Hey, you might get stuff from us that isn't from us or, you know, make sure that you don't have a password, like the same password. Maybe some companies, honestly, I think it might be cheaper for you guys to invest in offering LastPass to all of your customers for free. I just throwing it out there, or maybe it's not LastPass. Maybe it's one of the many other ones. Um, whatever you can do to try to stop that bleeding, because I do think that that's something that's going to come soon, um, especially for those of you who are providing store credits right now. Um, but honestly, for any any company that has you know loyalty points, rewards points, anything that you can turn into dollars, and then on top of that, stored stored credit cards, stored payment methods, those will always have value as well. Um, you know, start thinking about what you can try to explain to your executive team how you can try to frame it how the options that you can provide maybe you say okay these are three things that we can do and kind of steer them kind of this is the consultant trick right so you do like good better best and the best is probably the most expensive and the hardest for them to implement and the good it has some downsides and then you kind of steer them to this is the right decision um, you know, be thinking about at least proposing that, at least telling people within your executive team, this is something I'm concerned about. How can, what can we do? Because I think that, yes, at the end of the day, it should be up to the consumer to be more secure, but we can't rely on humans or consumers to know better or to do better. So I really think it's important for companies to try to stop the bleeding on their end, however they can. Um, and I've seen companies do it. I mean, it's not perfect, but it at least has helped a lot. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You made a, you made a really good point there of companies sending out emails where there's a link in the email to click on. Right. It's, it drives me crazy. I'm like, no. It's very handy. Well, yeah. And I get why they want to be able to track the, 
you know, the leads and track, oh, it came from our email marketing. We want to, you know, because the email marketing team gets credit for that. Like that means they wrote a good subject and a good email body for people to click on it. But I think at this day and age, I just, I don't think that any legitimate email should have links in them anymore. I think it should be go out to Google and type in our website. Right. And I'm adamant, extremely adamant about not clicking on the link of any email that's sent to you. You know, if there's a link inside of the email, do not click on it, period. Don't care. If you're a consumer out there, do not click on it. That pisses off some merchants. Sorry about that. But if you get an email, do not click on any links inside of the email. No, I do that all the time. I mean, I do it all the time where I go back out. I don't click on the actual email. I go, I open a tab, which I have, I mean, my husband jokes that my Chrome is just like my brain. I have probably like 70 tabs open right now. Um, (laughs) uh, One of them is Frank McKenna's face staring at me. That's kind of Uh, fun. There you go. Um, On the top. Uh, But uh, we are both big fans of his blog. So um, Frank on fraud, by the way. Um, but yeah, so um, I like, you know, I, I just open a new tab and I go out to the website. Like if they're having a deal, I can use the promo code or in the email or it will be on their website. I don't need to click on the link in the email in order to get the deal that they're publicizing. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Sense. But it is retraining people. And I, and I get that humans get distracted so fast myself, very much included. And the reason why you want a link in the email is just to make it easy for them and go out. But wouldn't it be amazing if we could train people not to do that? Because the problem is, is that if they get an email that looks like it's from your company and they're going to be trained to just click on it because they trust you. Um, and they're not going to know if the email domain is with a unicorn domain or if it's, you know, or if they're using a one instead of an I or, or honestly, are they even really doing that much to mask the fact that they're not using the, they're not really from your company because they realize that most people aren't going to look. That's probably true too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I do think that it's important for people to be thinking about how can we train, retrain consumers? How can we retrain our customers? Because otherwise the merchants are stuck in the middle, but they're the ones who are losing all the money. They're stuck in between the customer and their bank. Um, You know, consumers are used to being secure with their bank, but not really thinking about how valuable their Amazon password is or how valuable their airline miles password is or, or anything else. You're just not thinking about it. You just want to create a password that you're going to remember the next time you want to log in. That's it. <laughs> that's it. That's so, really, that's it. Like it that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, I think obviously common sense is the most important thing, but the problem with common sense is that it's not very common. So Um, you know, I I think it's important for people to know what scams are happening now and then also what's uh, down the line. And we will just keep keeping you guys informed as we as we go. That's it for our episode today. Thank you for joining us and we hope you've learned a lot. You know, we've got so many more topics to cover to help protect you and your company from fraud. So please subscribe to the online broadcast to be alerted to when a new episode is out. And please tell your friends, rate and review wherever you can to help others find out about us as well. 
And we always love to hear from you. What you love so far about the podcast, how we can improve, and what topics you want to hear us discuss. You can always find Online Frogcast on Facebook or find us individually on LinkedIn or also on our website, onlinefrogcast.com. Until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.